Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Well, there has been a theme in the news lately that has been pretty thought-provoking, and I think if I had to describe it succinctly, I'd say it really comes down to the question of religious freedom and how that freedom is clashing with opposing ideology. Today, I want to tackle you know, the topics of religious exemptions, religious discrimination, and where the line of freedom ought to be drawn when it comes to religious conviction. I might even pick apart the definition of religion if the conversation allows, but so yeah, you know, Jim, a just light a, conversation. Yeah, a very light <laughs> conversation. Today. Um, okay, so speaking of light, I want to talk about the recent Supreme Court decision um, to hear a case. I think it's later this year about how much employers must accommodate the religious beliefs of their employees. And I may not have all of the details here, but just to provide a little bit of context. The centers on a formal um, mail carrier in Pennsylvania who sued the U.S. Postal Service for requiring him to work on Sunday, and he resigned under the conviction that Sundays are days for worship and not for work. Jim, can you provide a little bit more context than what I just did, and, and it's particularly about what federal law currently requires when it comes to religious exemptions in the workplace? Yeah, this is a really good conversation, by the way, that we're having today because there's right now like several very pivotal cases and things in the news that are bringing all of this to the to the surface. The case you raised initially was, uh, his name was Gerald Croft. He was a former mail carrier in Pennsylvania, and he sued the U.S. Postal Service uh, after it required him to work on Sundays, doing a Sunday shift, actually, delivering packages. Uh, he resigned in 2019. He is a Christian, self-professed Christian, and he believes he shouldn't work on Sundays and should just be involved if he does anything engaged in worship, dedicated to worship. Federal law requires companies to make accommodations for their workers' religious beliefs as long, here's the language, as it doesn't produce or present an undue hardship. And this goes back to a 1977 Supreme Court case uh, where it defined undue hardship as having more, as anything having more than a, a de minimis or trivial cost. And that means employees can, uh, employers can largely avoid making accommodations in many situations because that was a pretty low threshold. Um, mm -hmm. But that de minimis standard in, is not in the federal statute. And several of the Supreme Court's uh, more conservative justices have openly questioned it. Uh, those representing Groff would say that it is unlawful for employers to discriminate against employees on the basis of religion, uh, and that it's time for the Supreme Court to reconsider what is a decades-old case uh, that favors corporations and the government uh, over the religious rights of employees. And so that's the gist of it. Yeah. And I feel like this discussion was really at its peak of I don't know, maybe tension during the heart of the pandemic, you know, when some workplaces were requiring that their employees um, get a COVID vaccine. And then all of a sudden it was like religious exemptions were being issued or, or at least requested left and right. Um, but the decision, interestingly, to resist wasn't unanimous amongst Christians. Like it, there was a lot of Christians um, who felt like um, that 
um, giving, you know, COVID vaccine honored their conviction, Christian conviction. And so in other words, like there isn't unanimous conviction, um, about what things, I don't know, like, or what things violate Christian beliefs. Um, and that was, I think, really confusing for a Christian world to see like some Christians are or not a Christian world, a watching world, especially non-believers of looking at some Christians are saying, I'm going to get the COVID vaccine because this is a part of my Christian conviction. And then others saying, no, I'm not going to because of my Christian conviction. And so I guess my question is like, I don't know. I don't think I have a good question. Maybe I just, I'm so interested to hear what your thoughts are on, on that. Yeah. The majority of Christians didn't have a problem getting the vaccine, but, but this was a significant issue, particularly mm -hmm. in 2021 as more and more vaccine mandates were being rolled out for schools and businesses and hospitals and uh, government agencies that put people who did not want a vaccine in a quandary. They didn't want the vaccination, but they also didn't want to lose their job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Almost every vaccine mandate allowed for there to be both medical exemptions, demonstrable medical exemptions, as well as demonstrable religious exemptions. Uh, the first could be clearly demonstrated, the medical ones. The second was obviously trickier. Mm -hmm. There are legitimate religious exemptions, uh, without a doubt. If you're part of, for example, the Christian Science Church, which despite its name is certainly not a part of historic Christian orthodoxy in any means, but if you are part of the Christian science movement group, you don't believe in medicine at all. I mean, that's a cardinal doctrine. You can't take an, you don't take an aspirin. You don't uh, much less a vaccine. That's in direct violation of your faith's beliefs. But that's pretty much it. Hmm. Uh, every major world religion, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, puts significant emphasis on principles calling for staying healthy through every available medical means to prevent infection as well as doing whatever it takes to preserve human life. Even more to the point, there's not a single major world religion that during that time that we're referring to objected to vaccines, including vaccines for COVID-19. If you were to just focus on the Christian faith, for example, you had the Catholic Church uh, did not oppose vaccines and Pope Francis was very public about saying that ethically everyone should have one. Uh, on the Protestant front, we don't have a pope who speaks for us, but many influential evangelical leaders, for example, like Russell Moore, who of, of Christianity Today, very respected voice, and former head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, noted that we should spread the gospel, not a virus. He said, go get vaccinated. And that uh, he said that um, the hesitancy to get it was primarily based on misinformation. And, and he wanted, you know, was very outspoken about Christians realizing the misinformation. And I would be one who would agree uh, with that. Um, at the time, there was a lot of talk uh, about the vaccines aren't safe because they were developed so quickly or thousands of people have, have died from the vaccines or the vaccines are experimental and weren't tested thoroughly or natural immunity is always stronger than vaccines or the vaccines are not safe for pregnant women or uh, the vaccines somehow change your DNA. And we can agree to disagree, but uh, the vast majority would would hold that none of that's true. None of that was true. That was misinformation. And uh, so in Louisiana, for example, the attorney general for that state created a form for those who objected to mask and vaccine mandates, mm -hmm. allowing them to assert that they don't consent to um, forcing a face covering on their child uh, because that child is created in the image of God. And they believe that their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
and that they're called to honor God and how they care for their body, which is obviously language that is deeply Christian, but it begs some questions. Why would wearing a face mask during a pandemic have be at odds with being made in the image of God? Um, you're not saying that your face is the image of God, and so to cover it would somehow dishonor that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. has nowhere in the history of theology. Um, and yes, we're called to honor God through our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, but you would have to, if that's your religious exemption, um, you would have to believe that taking the vaccine is being purposefully harmful to your body. And the idea that the vaccine is actually more harmful to your body than the COVID-19 virus and its many variants, mm -hmm. um, which means you have to wrestle with uh, a stark fact, which is that by the start of 2022, uh, over 5 million have died from COVID around the world. You did not have 5 million dying from the vaccine. So which most honors the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, a vaccine to protect against COVID-19 or to allow covid to enter your body and potentially kill you and through the spread of it, uh, countless others. Uh, but again, we can agree to disagree on all this. Um, uh, my biggest uh, concern with this was people who had no religious convictions at all, were not Christians, but wanted to grab a religious exemption because of ideological purposes. In other words, they were using religion, using Jesus, using this language of the temple of the Holy Spirit and the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and also being made in the image of God. That wasn't even a part of their life. And they were just in a political tug of war or ideologically mad or angry. And, and so they were going to seize a religious exemption and claim a religious exemption. And, and that, that punched a button with me, I remember mm -hmm. at the time, because, you know, that's just making a mockery of faith and it's making a mockery of the God that we love when you don't have that relationship with God. Now, if you are a Christian, you really do believe those things. Okay. We can agree to disagree and you can file a religious exemption and that that's fine. Um, but, uh, but when you have absolutely no convictions there at all, you're just involved in this ideological thing. You're just going to seize this when no major world religion has taken that position. It seems more philosophy than it does faith ideology more than faith. And again, I, I can't begin to tell you, though, having said all this, because you asked me, mm -hmm. I have no interest in entering into the vaccine debate with anyone. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm so over that. Uh, I, I, under, I actually understood those who had genuine vaccine hesitancy in the early rollout mm -hmm. of the vaccine. I supported those who had genuine medical conditions and whose primary care physicians were cautioning them to wait. Um, but uh, I didn't have a lot of patience at the time, and, and if I'm honest, I still don't, with someone who does not have religious conviction, claiming a religious exemption to this simply because it's a way out and to make an ideological statement. And I just, I think that any Christian, no matter where you stand on the vaccine, should be, um, find that repugnant. Yeah. Well, I guess like on that same topic, what I'm curious about is, let's say there is congruency in someone's life between their faith and then a religious exemption that they would claim um, with a matter of conviction. So it's not kind of that type of hypocrisy that maybe their fellow employees would pick up on. But another argument that I've heard that pushes back on the idea of religious exemptions in the workplace is that it results in unfair treatment to people because of that. Like, for example, in this case of the postal carrier, he was advocating to have Sundays off. But what about the person who then has to work that shift instead? Like, how does that look? Yeah. Well, I mean, those on the other side, 
on that case, you're right, would say that personal religious exemptions or practice is uh, already appropriately represented um, by Title VII and the Constitution, uh, but that those protections are not without limits. And they would argue that freedom of religion is not a justification to harm other people, including co-workers. Uh, and that was the argument of the Biden administration with this case. They told the court in November that only, um, only one other mail carrier was available for that district and it was a very rural area and so it was forcing this person to deliver packages and the only person delivering packages every sunday mm. and the postmaster explained that attempting to find uh coverage for um this every sunday was time consuming it was an added burden for him and other postmasters in the region and, and you know and and what do you do when they're sick and other things and vacations and so in this case a u.s district court ruled that uh exempting this deliverer, this same Scroff, from Sunday deliveries would cause undue hardship to the mm -hmm. U.S. Postal Service. And the Philadelphia-based U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit upheld that decision last year. Hmm. Well, let's shift to another recent court case um, and another type of clash, because in Oregon, a federal judge dismissed a lawsuit that was brought forward by more than 40 current and former university students who claim that their school's religious exemptions resulted in LGBTQ discrimination. You know, they were cited, uh, they cited abuse, uh, cases of abuse, uh, the refusal for the university to provide safe conditions for LGBTQ students, even cases of conversion therapy. So again, like, is this a win for Christian education? Because there are many on both sides of that argument. How would you weigh in? Oh, it's a win. Uh, it's, it's a big win um, for 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 religious freedom um, and to, to the freedom to be a Christian institution, a freedom to be a Christian organization. Let me let me back up and I'll give you my unambiguous answer. Uh, <laughs> the, a federal judge in Oregon uh, did recently dismiss a lawsuit that was challenging religious exemptions under Title IX. Uh, the decision really comes as a win for Christian colleges that had joined with the Department of Education in defending the exemptions uh, in areas where their theological convictions on LGBT issues conflicted with the anti-discrimination law. Uh, and so here, here was the case. There was a group of 44 current and former students at religious schools. They, fi they filed a class action lawsuit arguing that the religious exemptions were incompatible with LGBT rights. Uh, and that LGBT individuals were uh, exposed to, as you mentioned, unsafe conditions at mm -hmm. these religious schools. And the lawsuit alleged that um, through these exemptions, LGBT discrimination was effectively endorsed by the federal government. And students challenging the exemptions were from uh, 31 different schools, 22 of which were part of the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, CCCU. Um, and that included Baylor University, Oklahoma Baptist University, Moody Bible Institute, Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, though the CCCU advocates a sexual ethic of marriage between a man and a woman, in court filings, they said, listen, abuse uh, uh, that its schools um, uh, provides safe conditions and that any kind of abuse or the providing of unsafe conditions to thousands of LGBT students or to injure them in body, mind, or soul. No, no, none of that is taking place. We're seeking to minister to them and support them and care for them physically and emotionally and socially and spiritually. And when they applied to this school, they knew we were a Christian school and they knew what our beliefs were. And we've tried to, you know, show them honor and, and no abuse or anything like that, but at the same time, and to care for them. But we're a Christian school with Christian convictions. Uh, 
And uh, so, yes, I believe this was a huge win for religious higher education. It protected the constitutional rights of those institutions to live out their deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs, both in policy and in practice. And it embraced the fact that while governments must respect same-sex marriage because of the law, private individuals and institutions must be allowed to believe and to express and to live according to their own convictions uh, regarding marriage and sexuality without losing government benefits or being subjected to official discrimination or any other governmental uh, disability. And so this was, I think this was a win for churches too. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though churches don't deal with Title IX things like that, like the way a school would, but I mean, any uh, overtly religious institution, organization that wants to hold a moral stance, I mean, this is a way of saying, you know, you you can't force your your beliefs on us or force us to stop being Christian. And so for these schools, I mean, this this was huge. Yeah. Well, it's one thing to consider this debate as a Christian who wants to advocate for God's kingdom um, in this world, but religious exemptions are not only for Christians. And so I'm thinking of, you know, the recent um, controversy at Hamline University in Minnesota. Um, and there, a prof- professor, was, I think an art professor, professor, was fired after showing images of the Prophet Muhammad um, in an art history class. And the professor's decision was called, let me get the quote here, undeniably disrespectful and Islamophobic. The university later kind of withdrew that Islamophobic claim. But the question I guess here is, how much should a school accommodate the various religious uh, beliefs of its students? I think this is a fascinating case. I I, I have... I, I don't want to start to say, I've really enjoyed watching this from playing. I don't think enjoy is the right word, but I found it fascinating and intriguing on multiple levels, not just legally, but also just cultural, cultural reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so um, so it was interesting and important to see play out. Hamline University officials made, uh, you're right, an about face, a very strong about face mm-hmm. on its treatment of a lecturer who showed an image of the Prophet Muhammad in an art history class. Uh, walking back also one of the most, one of the more controversial statements that, that showing the image was somehow Islamophobic. Like yeah. that, the, I think it was the Dean or whoever it was that wrote the letter to the, to the professor said, obviously this was Islam, Islamophobic that you showed this. Hmm. Uh, they also said that respect for Muslim students should not have superseded. I mean, um, uh, they also walked back the idea that respect for Muslim students should not have superseded academic freedom because they were taking a lot of heat for that. Mm-hmm. So essentially what happened is they came out and they said they, they fired this professor. They didn't read their contract. They said this was Islamophobic. And 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 then um, and if I, and you should have uh, subverted academic freedom for this religious conviction. Then they came back and said, OK, that wasn't Islamophobic. And we're not ready to say that academic freedom has to bow before religious um, uh, concerns. They they changed their stance after the lecturer who lost the teaching job sued the school. And, mm-hmm. and I would have said rightfully so, <laughs> sued the school for religious discrimination and defamation. They said, you know, um, and the school said, you know, it was never our intent to suggest that academic freedom is of lower concern or value than our students. Uh, and uh, care does not supersede academic freedom. They, they, the, the two need to coexist. So we're trying really hard to back off of their statement. But um, if, if you really go back and look at what happened, though, what the, the, it began back in October when this adjunct professor uh, warned students multiple times, multiple times before showing a reverential image, not a derogatory one or an inflammatory, a reverential image of the holy uh, figure created in the 14th century. And 
many Muslims do believe that they are prohibited from viewing visual representations of Muhammad, but historians of Islamic art have said that images of the Prophet, uh, Prophet Muhammad are regularly shown in art history classrooms without incident. Mm -hmm. uh, still, a Muslim student, a solitary Muslim student, complained to administrators. The professor was told that she would no longer uh, be teaching an art history course for the spring. And an email to students and faculty said the instructions actions were clearly Islamophobic. Uh, the university's president co-signed a statement saying that respect for Muslim students in the online class should have superseded academic freedom. Uh, but as I said, then they backed off of all of that. <laughs> Many scholars and free speech groups had um, denounced the professor's treatment um, I mean, the treatment of the professor by the school as an attack on academic freedom. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which is a speech advocacy group, said that the professor had a right to show the paintings without fear of losing her job. And even the national group of the Council on American Islamic um, Relations supported the professor. And so this was an interesting thing where, and again, I don't want to be snarky, but it, it's where a, a school... Uh, got a little ahead of itself on being PC mm -hmm. and, and then realized that they touched a third rail with a lot of people, both on the left and the right and, and, um, and crossed a line. So mm -hmm. it was an interesting case to watch play out. You know, related to all the cases that we've talked about, it's just like growing concern that I have, you know, within our cultural landscape about, um, I guess our cultural landscape of just spirituality is just the very definition of religion, you know, because increasingly we're seeing this, you know, food bar approach to religion of just kind of picking and choosing different aspects of faith that are just, you know, go, go down more easily than others, right? Or that you, we feel kind of identify with our sense of truth. And that just kind of results in just a personal religion. And so, or I guess you could say a religion of me. And so when that happens, like who is to say what is discriminatory for them based on their personal religious convictions? You've touched on something that I, I've been giving a fair amount of thought to lately. And, um, and I, I think is, a, a, is an interesting cultural phenomenon right now. And I don't know that the typical Christian is even aware of what it is that they have begun to embrace. Um, there is this new ethic, this new spirituality, this new doctrine and dogma of individual freedom. Um, and let me give you an example and, 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 it's, and embraced by Christians and it's a deeply secular worldview and they don't realize that they're borrowing a secular argument for what they're saying. Okay. Right now in the name of religious freedom, uh, or in the name of just freedom, uh, there are, there are certain Christians just erupting all over the place about, you know, don't you tell me what to do? Don't you tell me what to do? And it doesn't matter whether it's masks or vaccines or, or you know, whatever. There's just this huge uprising against being um, anything being imposed on you. And and then and, and in the name of individual freedom. Mm -hmm. OK, uh, here here's my concern. Um, let me just give you one example. And I'm going to I'm going to go where angels fear to tread here, but hopefully people will give me an umbrella of grace while I try to unpack a larger argument and they don't we don't get caught up in some specifics because I'm not interested in getting into vaccines, not vaccines or mask, not mask. I'm, I'm so I'm done with that. I'm, I, but I, I do. But here's what's interesting to me. The the Christians have typically been anti-abortion. Mm -hmm. And 
but the 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 pro-abortion movement had a saying. They had a philosophy: "My body, my choice." And it was that that the ultimate ethic was: I, "I'm my ultimate. I am my ultimate ethic. I I am in charge of my life. I'm the I'm in the authority for my life. I'm the truth for my life. I'm I am the um, you know." you know, you could be culturally saying, yeah, I'm, I'm the transcendent God of my life. Yeah. My body, my choice. Mm-hmm. And of course, well, not if it's a life, you know, not if it's an ensouled human being, but, but, but the, the thinking is, you know, my body, my choice, individual freedom. I'm individually in charge of my life. That's, and it's a very secular worldview because a Christian would never say my body, my choice about anything, because it's not my body. I belong to God. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing about my body, my choice. It's his body, my submission. Very different. Mm-hmm. But what has been the argument that you've seen among some Christians about vaccines? Yes. My body, my choice. The exact same argument, the exact same phrase. And again, this is not about where you stand on vaccines. I, you know, It's about the reasoning behind it. I mean, you can have reasons for not getting a vaccine, and that's fine. But to borrow so to see such a secular worldview, a secular thing that was used by, you know, the pro-abortion movement that Christians were opposed to, so many were, and then to borrow that exact same argument, without even blushing, without even thinking about it, without even realizing what what it's saying. You know, I'm my own god. It's my body. I do what I want to. My life. I do what I want to. You know, and and um. I don't care where you stand on an issue, but, you know, we can we can arrive in a way that at least is steeped in a, hopefully a Christian worldview and a Christian understanding. And so this is something that's happening with with the flashpoint about religious liberty and religious freedom and and, and how I think so much of the argument for it and Christian concern about it is being built on a, on in, in a secular way of thinking. And, and here's here's how it's it's often being uh, what's being observed. You, you can have a freedom from mentality or freedom for mentality. Uh, you know, I want freedom from whatever I feel like is descending on me. And I want to be individual and I want to be independent and I want to call my own shots. Um, and then there's the freedom for, a freedom for something. And there's a lot of freedom from, uh, that's a self-determination that is, that is floating around right now. And um, it's worrisome to me because uh, the, the worldview is one that is very alien to the Christian life. And I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian and not hold to some of these positions. Again, I don't want to get sucked into those. I'm just saying, though, that the, the, the basing any type of argument on I am in charge, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't answer to any outside authority, I don't submit to anything, is so antithetical to the Christian faith. So I would say to the Christian brothers and sisters, hey, if you want to make a case that you want freedom in an area, and you don't want something imposed on you, fine. Uh, do it based on a Christian worldview. Yeah. With a Christian line of thinking and a Christian line of argument. And I would say my body, my choice is not the right one to use because if you're a Christian, uh, neither is true. And, and and you're on a slippery slope where you're you're kind of you're trying to trying to bring a Christian message of morality and truth it, it you you might be thinking that's what you're trying to do but you're you're doing it with on on a, on a secular argument mm-hmm. and that's not offering the world anything it doesn't already have yeah and so i think that we need something more transcendent than 
and for whatever it is that we're going to do. And, and, and I think that right now, and again, I don't want to get too far afield, but right now, both because of the way we're making certain arguments, what we're making arguments over, where we're making the battle rage, what we're making a culture war, what we're not making a culture war uh, in the name of Jesus, and coupled with the, the, the number of moral failings and, sh and number of, 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 of the sheer hypocrisy that's being seen in much of the, of the Christian leadership, um, you, we're, just, we're just undercutting ourselves in terms of cultural engagement in a lot of ways. And again, it doesn't matter where you stand on some of these issues as much as how you're standing on them and whether or not you're doing it with any type of moral authority. And if you're doing it truly on the basis of something that is alien to the secular world, which is a Christian worldview. And so um, longer answer that, <laughs> that you maybe have meant, but I, I think, yes, I think you're on to something very, very important there. And it is this new ethic, this new sense of, of, Everything revolves, everything, individual freedom. So it's almost like it's just a new religion. It's just the religion of me. And I'm just nervous to see, like, how is that going to be defined in the future? And what will constitute a religious exemption when you are your own God? And I just. Yeah. And particularly if you're doing all that and it's kind of being all washed in and over with, you know, Christian language and Christian this yeah. and Christian that. And and and, and it's it's it, it is going to get. um Oh, it already is. It's it's sure. messy and it's confusing. And you had mentioned the very beginning, the outside world looking at this, kind of shaking its head. And it is. It's it's, it's looking at it, saying, I'm, "I'm I'm." It's hard for me to figure out what Christianity is and what it's based on and what it what it what it represents and and mm -hmm. what its truth source is and 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 it's just and and what is its morality? It's just very hard for me because it's confusing, and um, uh, and a lot of it is is anything but winsome and compelling. Right. Hmm. Well, this has not been an easy conversation to have, but so I appreciate you taking this on, Jim. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, and I, all of my questions are pretty open-ended, so I think your responses were very appropriate considering, so thank you. Um, but before we log off, I do want to let our listeners know about something cool we have coming up um, so that they can save the date for it. Because on Thursday, February 23rd at noon, um, noon Eastern time, I'm going to pass the interviewer baton over to those of you who are listening. And that's because we're going to be hosting our first ever live church and culture podcast. And you get to ask Jim your questions. More details are coming on that. But I just wanted to put that date in your mind so you can put it on your calendar. So again, that's February 23rd at noon. We really hope you'll be there for that. That should be a really good conversation, I think. I'm glad that I'm not in your seat. <laughs> um, for that. I'll be happy to pass my role on to... to you who are listening. That'll be a lot of fun for me. But for now, thank you again, Jim, for today's conversation. Thank you guys who are listening, and we hope you guys tune in again next week.